welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. African feminism is as old as society. From Kenyan women asserting their right to dress as they choose and Nigerians standing up to the misogynist Boko Haram, to feminists organising across the continent for LGBTIQ rights. The socialist feminist organisation Radical Women recently organised a public meeting on feminism in Africa. Nita Okoko, Kenyan feminist and international student at Melbourne University, was the keynote speaker and 3CR's Arij Noor recorded the speech. Nita started off by explaining that in many respects it's difficult to discuss feminism in Africa, an entire continent and that the expression of women's struggle is very different depending on where in Africa you are. Nonetheless, Nita embarked on this mammoth task. I am African. I was born and bred in Africa. I've been here for a year and a half. Um, I come from a family of okay, two parents. Um, and my my mum, my mum's obviously got four children, right? And uh, I've, got a, I've got a sister who is... An engineer. I've got a brother as well, but let's not mention him. I've got a sister who's an engineer. <laughs> I got a sister who's an engineer. Um, I trained as a dentist. Uh, this is all in, in Africa, and I'm currently here doing my master's degree. And I have a sister training to be an accountant. Um, and so I, I've been, except for for the occasional travel for a week or two, I have sort of been born and bred in Africa. And this, I think, is often unusual. You know, I mean, people think it's unusual, but again, this is you know the danger of a single story. And I think a lot of Africans here will will um, identify with that, you know. Uh, there is a lot going on, um, especially women's rights have progressed, and I think I've, I've been, um, I've certainly been, a, I guess, a recipient of, of that progress put in place by the women before me. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to uh, speak about, um, you know, just some history, um, and then speak about uh, the gains that women have made in countries throughout Africa, and just speak about, I guess, the current struggles of feminism and where we are right now. Radical Women is a socialist feminist organization, and I, I don't know if you're familiar with, with that, um, but we, we ascribe to sort of Marxism feminism because we feel that it's the, the best explanation of why we are where we are now. And um, this has been sort of documented. There's, the theory is in our manifesto, but I think any historian will be familiar with, um, with you know, with, how this came along until the present day. So um, I'm just going to paint a picture to, to show, you know, somebody mentioned that um, African women are sort of seen as second-class citizens, you know? And um, the reason I give this history is to make it clear that it wasn't always that way, you know? Uh, whatever struggles that African women, are, you know, or whatever the uh, situation that a lot of us find ourselves in as African women is not something that was always the case. Um, so I'm just going to speak about uh, matriarchal societies. So um, way back when, sort of pre-modern pre times, um, a lot of African communities were matriarchal in, compos in composition. So when you, when you think of a matriarchy, it's, it's not what people think it is. It's not that women, it wasn't patriarchy in reverse. Matriarchal systems were actually more than anything egalitarian systems, where men and women had um, equal roles, were equally respected, um, and the roles in society, respected for the roles and seen as complementary to each other and to the survival of, um, yeah, I guess, the species and the community. And um, 
So one thing about patriarchy is that there was, unlike matriarchy as opposed to patriarchy, is that there was no hierarchy, um, so no hierarchy, no class, and no domination of one gender by the other. So by definition, it was more egalitarian, more equal. Um, so there's been there's evidence um, of matriarchies in what in countries that are now Angola, Mali, Ghana, Egypt, Ethiopia, and Rwanda, just to name a few. Um, in terms of yeah, of course, you know, documentation has been different as time went by, but um, Egyptians do have some of the, the more, um, you know, I guess, uh, you know, familiar to us, the kind of documentation that's familiar to us in, in this day and age. And, um, and I'm just going to give an example. So, for instance, um, in e Egypt and Kush, um, the, the women were very important. Uh, children took their surname from the mother, and um, mothers were in control of the household um, and, and the field. So there, there, was, uh, there was a king, but the queen mother was also part of the ruling class. And um, the king would be succeeded in a matrilineal, matrilineal line by his sister's by his sister's son, as opposed to by his own children. And this made sense because, um, you know, I suppose at the time you, you could be sure, going through a matrilineal line, that, that the children belong to the family, whereas, um, you know, this is not true for a patrilineal line. So, you know, which we have now with the advent of the family, of the nuclear family. So um, this, this is just to show the status of women. This was, this was pretty common because this is before the time that, I guess, the... Um, details of, I guess, the biology are known. The only thing that made sense was to trace this descent down through women's lines. And so women were respected um, as the givers of life and as, um, you know, um, yeah, really important to, to the society. So what happened then is um, the erosion of status of women occurred gradually in Africa as elsewhere um, due to the move towards um, ownership of private property. So, so what, what happened, and this is not, this is not uh, particular to Africa alone, but just how the family developed. So what you had was um, initially you had the matrilineal line and the property was communal and uh, people lived in communities and the nuclear family as a unit that we know it today didn't really exist. And um, women tended to do, to take care of, I guess, you know, the household and dealt with all the agriculture and men tended to herd the sheep. And um, everything was on this level until surplus production began to, began to happen, where people were producing more than they needed, and cattle were a really big expression of, of the surplus. You know, I, I mean, I feel like I could be explaining it in more detail, but just um, bear with me. And anyway, so at this point in time, because men tended the cattle, then the, it became necessary, I mean, then private property was, um, sort of came into being, and for men to have, men owned this property, and men would then want to pass this property down to their, um, to their offspring. And so the only way to ensure that, um, that that happened was to have the family and to have you know, monogamy and to have women there so that there could be a certainty that the person who was going to inherit this private property would be of um, the man's line. So right, so I just said uh, the erosion of the status of women that occurred with the move towards the ownership of private property. And uh, of course, with private property and capitalism, as we know it now, feudalism before capitalism, came class oppression, sex oppression, um, race oppression, and so on. So um, much as this was happening, the patri patriarchal, patriarchal systems definitely did exist prior to, um, prior to colonialism. But with a mix of colonialism, women then further lost status because they weren't able to fit into society the way they did before. And I'll expand on this later. So I'm just going to go um, and I'm just going to mention some of the roles that women had before. So um, women had economic roles. Um, 
And so the major food producers, and they had um, a lot of the authority over how land was used and how land was to be cultivated. And um, another thing is trade as well. So women in West Africa, for instance, presided over trade and the exchange of goods and communities for their, sorry, the exchange of goods for their communities. Um, another thing as well was um, spiritual roles. Women dominated the positions of spiritual power. So they would announce dates and times of ceremonies, rites, rituals. There were oracles, spirit mediums, seers, and advisors and political roles as well. Because of this dual system that I described, where you had uh, the king and you had the queen mother, then women were very much an integral part of the political system of a lot of African societies um, in, in pre-modern times. Mm -hmm. Just to mention, women still, I mean, these roles that I speak about, other than maybe the spiritual and political roles, for instance, the economic roles, women still do tend to dominate local market scenes in Africa. They do tend to do a lot of the trading. Um, in the informal sector, they are, you know, uh, they actually, there was, this, you know, there was some study done, but it shows that women do tend to, to put more hours into, you know, I guess generating money than, than men do. But obviously, they don't really fit into a lot of the economic systems that came into place after colonialism. So much as there was patriarchy prior, I think it is important to understand that some of the struggles that women in Africa face were particularly exacerbated by, um, by, that, by that, you know, shift in the systems that came into place um, after colonialism. So of course with the capitalist economy and colonial patriarchy on a more global scale. And um, so after, after colonialism, um, and when after independence was won by many African organizations, then the role of feminists was taken on, well, maybe not so called feminists, but taken on by women's organizations that tried to especially have pol gain political milestones um, for women the, the milestones that men had achieved. Well, when you hear about sort of, you know, educate the girl child, I mean, th these are a lot of campaigns that came out of, you know, predominantly Africa. Um, so a lot of these taglines, you know, so, um, so educating women was, was one really big push. But as I mentioned before, I'm definitely, um, you know, lucky on that, on that ground. So this is what, so women's movements would come together, come together, um, aid each other financially, sort of microfinance institutions. Um, they would also, um, yeah, definitely push for the education of women, campaign against female genital cutting. Um, and yeah, so there's a lot of these regional and transnational women's groups, right? So um, just, I just want to give some examples of women's national organizing that came from African examples. So for instance, women's world banking, which I don't know, which some of you might be familiar with, was based on the formalization of local women's rotating credit associations. So what, what happens is, so women get together who aren't earning too much money, and um, they, they say, well, it's like a merry, you know, merry-go-round is. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. So, so through merry-go-rounds, women were able to, to save money, for, you know, to, to basically just have a pool of money at any point in time to start businesses, and this has been a really big form of um, empowerment in, in a lot of African countries. So that was the one. And then the promoting the rights of the girl child. Um, also ensuring that women's organizations kept focus on the broader context of women's rights um, in such oppressive situations as apartheid South Africa. So this was just about contextualizing women's rights as human rights, which hadn't happened prior. Um, um, so African women have also led the way for advocating gender balance, parliamentary bodies, and adopting gender budgets that analyze and clarify the gender implications of national spending. And this is, I mean, gender analyses are, you know, even if it's just for lip service or face value are really done 
to death in African countries. And this is because of all the women's groups that um, campaigned for this um, at that post-colonial time. So women were instrumental as well in advocating for the UN Security Council resolution, which was passed in, 2000, in the year 2000 to ensure women's inclusion in peace negotiations and their protection from sexual assault and civil conflicts. And, um, and of course, women have also been at the forefront of discussion between cultural rights and women's human rights. These issues are relevant globally and um, include female genital cutting, um, women's inheritance rights, polygamy, and child marriage, to name a few. Okay, so um, something else as well that I, I thought I would mention is uh, just to show how successful um, these women movements were is um, they really have generated political transformation. Um, African, a lot of African countries have really some of the highest representation in parliament of, of women, which um, some of you may be aware. So definitely some big, big gains to be made. And this is generally through the use of quotas, which I know people feel differently about. Um, and women have moved into leadership positions in political parties, legislatures, NGOs, um, and actively challenged discriminatory laws and constitutions. Um, African women's groups have assumed leadership roles in critical health issues, campaigning, again, against female genital cutting and organizing programs to prevent the spread of HIV and AIDS. Uh, something that's changed in the landscape is uh, since, since that time when women were really going sort of political and and uh, you know, of course, campaigning for, for these for these rights, uh, the hegemony of you know, I mean, I guess the nuclear family and um, the place of women was not really being challenged. And this is what is quite new in the landscape of feminism in Africa in the last maybe I'd say 10 to 15 years. And of course, taking on the term feminism as well. So um, it was a kind of feminism, of course, what I've described to fight for these rights. But now it's more than just you know we want to be equal in this maybe. It's more really questioning these structures that are in place um, that, that say, you know, women should be here or be there. I was just going to give some examples of sort of female, female organizing and really challenging this, you know, um, notion of the place of women in society. So Liberia has been the seat of many civil wars uh, for, for many reasons. It's just Liberia as a country the people know how Liberia was created as a country. Just, yeah, the liberated slaves were brought back and put in Liberia. So you've had people who had, I guess, very little in common, you know, coming back years after descendants of, um, of, of slaves in, um, in, in America, and that was the country Liberia. So it has, it's had a lot of turmoil um, over the course of the years. So during the second Liberian Civil War, and this is, if you don't, if you, Maybe you're not thinking about it right now. I'm sure you've a lot of the horrific, you know, images and, and wars that you've seen over the course of a generation would definitely have been in Liberia. So a quarter of a million people died, um, and a third of the population had been displaced in these wars, right? But there was um, this uh, feminist activist and organizer, Lema, who, uh, who just, you know, I suppose, had um, this idea. She said she had a dream, you know, to bring Christian and Muslim women together and just you know, just come together and, and say, this is enough, the women of Liberia demand peace. And so they had, um, right, so anyway, they basically, she, she went around organizing, getting the women in churches and mosques to come together, and the women were waging this aggressive campaign to end the violence because they said, no more, not us, not our children. So um, what they, what they wore white t-shirts and white headscarves, and this was meant to be um, the symbol of peace, and they would go and demand um, in, yeah, I guess Monrovia, in sit-ins at, at the fish markets, and just say, you know, we really want peace, and that Charles Taylor, who was the 
current, who was the president at the time and, you know, the cause of a lot of the trouble. Um, she just had to sort of get together with the rebels and they had to come to a, sol a solution that was peaceful and long-lasting. So, um, so they told all these banners saying, um, women in Liberia want peace now, and um, the bonds among them grew, they, beca they became bolder, but the, only the women were participating in this sort of, you know, push to work for the government to, um, to yeah, to just bring, bring about peace. And so um, the women decided that the only way to get the men on board was to have a sex strike, which was actually effective. So um, they did this, this, again, you know, really creative. And, and a sex strike is what was successful in getting the men to uh, join the women on this, um, on this, on this uh, sort of political front. So eventually the peace talks between, uh, you know, uh, Charles Taylor and, and the rebels be began, and um, the women would stand outside and say they would not be leaving until the, you know, the talks came to a conclusion that was suitable for everybody. Um, and when they were really impatient with the lack of progress, what, what they did, which which okay, apparently this is a this is a common threat, you know. So what what they did is um, to to demonstrate their resolve, they resorted to one of African women's most powerful protest strategies, shaming the men by threatening to rip off their clothes. And this is actually, I mean, you know, it might sound bizarre to you, but it is. I mean, that that is really, if you see, say, for instance, your mom naked, it is as a, as a male member of the family, it curses for generations. And so this was actually a powerful impetus to make the talks successful and to and for the men to take the women really seriously. So already, you know, you, you're starting to see women, yeah, question that the powers that be and realizing the powers that, the, well, I guess the. Um, yeah, you know, I suppose that the power that they have in, you know, in, in numbers and in, in sticking together. And this is different, of course, this is completely different from the political organizing. And so we're starting to see more and more of this grassroots, um, you know, women together um, organizing to, towards, um, towards common goals. This wave of new and creative feminism has represented an important turning point for women's empowerment and a significant change from earlier decades, which had rarely challenged men's dominance in private or public life. So speaking about currently where we are now, um, yeah, women definitely continue to organize um, to highlight the issues and advocate for themselves at grassroots community and national levels. Uh, the focus remains to further women's education, livelihoods, health, reproductive rights, and political representation. Um, Kenya has been, I guess, an example in some ways uh, because we, uh, women were instrumental in pushing for a new and progressive constitution, one of the most progressive. We're just waiting for a few things to actually be implemented. Um, and this gives women more land ownership rights, um, legalizes abortion in certain instances, um, rights in the event of divorce, and harsh persecution for domestic violence, rape, and female genital cutting, which were not um, enshrined in the previous constitution. So there's been, there's been a lot of that going on. Um, there's a bit of controversy, maybe we'll come up in the questions about, well, polygamy, because that's also become legal, you know? And I, and I think it's a whole, oh, you know, women don't want, anyway, it's, yeah, it's a whole, it's a double-edged sword, let's just say. But so there's all that going on. Um, and then, of course, um, I, I just, this is up in the banner, so I feel I should mention it. Uh, you know, for instance, it's just, it's illegal to wear a miniskirt in Uganda, because it goes against, uh, you know, it, it's a law. I think the law is pornography and, and something or other. And so when I dress my choice, which is the, the 
image we chose for uh, the Facebook event was really significant that Kenyan women were um, marching to say this. It's really just going against the patriarchy and these, you know, entrenched, yeah, en entrenched things that are normalized. Um, and normalized especially in the name of sort of what African, you know, and this, I'm sure you've heard this term, you know, homosexuality is non-African. People love to, to use this, you know, non-African, um, I guess, term to, um, to justify misogyny and to justify, um, I guess, sexism. Of course, this is, yeah, again, it's a patriarchy. It's not, a, a lot of men as well, of course, have been very progressive and, and, and you know, very supportive in, in women's rights, but, you know, there's a few really loud voices and really loud influences. And um, I feel this is a narrative that's often put forward, and I hope that my, you know, sort of, my sort of background description, which people tend to conveniently forget, gave context to the fact that there is nothing African about um, men completely, I guess, dominating women. There's nothing African about, um, you know, discrimination against LGBTQ people and so on. So again, um, so the miniskirts was really a huge thing for women to be able to march in the street. And I was home just uh, a little while ago. Well, I, I, still, I still wouldn't dare wear a miniskirt to the central business district. But even so, there is this, the sense of a fear is gone. The w women would be terrified. But the movement was, was really quite successful. And I think men wouldn't even do it because of the fear of being, I guess, shamed by even other men who definitely got on board and realized how ridiculous it was to, to, to think somebody, I guess, wasn't wearing, you know, was wearing too little clothes. And so the solution is to make it less clothes, you know? It just really doesn't make sense at all. Um, and of course, uh, women have also been, um, acting in Nigeria, as organi grassroots organizing in Nigeria to spur the government into action um, against Boko Haram that had kidnapped um, the schoolgirls. And, uh, you know, and the message, of course, is they, you know, they didn't want the women to be educated. So there's still quite a few challenges, despite the fact that some great gains have been made. Um, so lots of grassroots environmental women's groups. Wangari Madai comes to mind, 2004 Nobel Nobel Prize winner, Kenyan ecofeminist, um, and I'm happy to talk about that later if um, anyone's interested. And so, um, yeah, another thing as well the grassroots, organiz grassroots organizations are doing is um, providing places that um, LGBTIQ men and women can, can go to, places that are safe, because it does remain to, um, illegal in quite a few African countries, um, and also pushing for change in legislation. So these are just, this is where people are finding refuge, and mostly women's organizations that are really small shelters from place to place, and um, it really does make all the difference. Of course, there's still challenges. Um, I think patriarchy is really, it's really quite strong. Um, like, like I said, sort of, you know, hiding behind this veil of what's African, you know, and what's not African, unfortunately. Um, there's inequality, which is still going to be, um, you know, as long as that exists under patriarchy, of course, things like um, female genital cutting, uh, you know, will, will remain a problem. In terms of feminism treated with suspicion, I, I, think, I think that era is more or less gone. I mean, much as Chimamanda does mention that, I find more and more, especially young women, maybe my mom's generation, whereas in trying to the place of a woman and don't do that, that, that seems to be, to be gone more or less. And um, I do get the sense that we, women, more than, of course, having had these educational gains, are really starting to, to want to, you know, um, I guess chart their own reality. And in, in, in many ways, just seeing that the only thing that's, 
that's going to work as a change of the system, you know, just to be revolutionary about it and, and get to the problem, hit, you know, at the roots, which, of course, is the capitalist system. Um, I thought about finishing with an example of, of maybe how creative African feminism can be, because obviously it's not always an ideal world. The challenges are pretty similar, you know, in many places in terms of violence against women, you know, um, and I guess many other, you know, forms of, and so it's just sort of, it's, it's in a different society and it sort of manifests itself differently because it's a different environment, but actually it's not so different. Um, however, because it is a different environment, women also have to resort to maybe really creative ways of finding, you know, or finding their own space, finding their own way. And so I thought I'd finish with um, this story of a village in Samburu, which actually Debbie, you sent me. Uh, and um, it's, Umo have you, it's a village called Umoja. Have you heard of it? The village where men are banned. Yeah? <laughs> okay, great, yeah. So, um, so Omoja is a village in Samburu, and Samburu is in the northeastern part of Kenya um, that was formed, I think, about 15 years ago by um, a woman named Rebecca Lolosoli. And it's just a, a village in which men really are, are banned, and it's a refuge space for women who've been raped, because women who are raped are usually shunned from the community. And what, what happened, actually, is that you had, there's a British um, army training camp, and some of the women would be raped by the soldiers, and they had nowhere to go because they'd be completely outcast. And so these were the original, um, I guess, the original women who started this um, village for women. And then, of course, you had women who had been raped within their own communities who also came to join. Um, young girls escaping early marriage, women escaping domestic violence, and just uh, yeah, early, and women escaping as well female genital cutting. And so there they are, um, an autonomous village, actually so successful now that they actually, I think, <laughs> can afford to hire them and to come in and do all the work they don't want to do, you know? <laughs> <laughs> sort of all the hard work. And um, and so it's just, again, you know, yeah, I guess different solutions. For sometimes, what is the same problem? But yeah, I'm confident from here it's only going to, to get yeah, bigger and, and better. That was Nita Okoko, Kenyan feminist and member of Radical Women, speaking at a public meeting on feminism in Africa. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. Thanks for tuning into the show. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.